Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and on this episode, we'll be talking about plenty of stuff that matters, including the anchoring ban. The ruling bodies finally announced their decision last week. As expected, anchored putting will be outlawed as of 2016. The question now becomes, what will the US Tour do? Tim Clark, Adam Scott, Carl Pedersen are just three of nine players who've already admitted to being part of a group they've retained legal counsel. Will they need it? We'll talk about that. Also, race relations and golf. A debacle broke out at the European Tours PGA Championship at Wentworth last week. First Sergio Garcia, then Tour Chief George O'Grady falling foul of racial political correctness. Fallout from that. the specifics of those two cases aside, we'll have a little bit of a chat about whether golf has a wider problem with racism. Historically, the game doesn't have a great track record in this department. We're also going to find out a little bit about how the Olympic course is going in Rio, and no doubt many more topics will come up as we go. When I say we, joining me to discuss these and other issues relating to the state of the game, blogger, author, course architecture expert, Jeff Shackle from the US. Jeff, always great to have you on board. Thank you, Rod. Good to be here. Yeah, and from this side of the planet, bright and early in the day for us here, Clates, commentator, player, course architect, Mike Clayton. Looking forward to uh, to getting into some of the meat on these bones today, Clates. Morning, Rod. Start with the anchoring ban. Shaq, I'll come to you first. The USGA, the RNA, no surprises there. They announced that the, uh, the ban would come into effect in the 2016. We all expected that. We've known that since last year. I guess the question really now, Shaq, the PGA2 haven't made their position clear. They surprised us when the... The, when they came out against the anchoring ban just before the comment period closed, are they likely to surprise us again and uh, and go against the rules of golf? What's going to happen? This really is intriguing, isn't it? Well, it, and it feels like it's going to continue to be intriguing. There there we have the, the group of nine, it looks like, that have uh, hired an attorney and are exploring their options. And we know it's Carl Pedersen and Tim Clark and Adam Scott. Uh, and, and the commissioner, I think, has just thrown us all off by his... Uh, his 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 backing of the players and and his willingness to probably put out some things that were not true to make the case and i i i have always believed he he's very concerned about how this will impact uh the champions tour i think it still bothers him that this is going to potentially alter the career of some people they view as very marketable and popular so i i really just believe anything is possible at this point. I, I I got to think they're looking for a solution that allows them at least to, um, to to kind of allow this on the Champions Tour in some way for some period of time. And I don't think the issue is is dead. Although I I do believe the governing bodies have uh, did a very good job and sold their case and uh, have set it up to where anybody who opposes this at this point is facing i think um i i think they're they're going to potentially be ostracized if they push this the wrong way i think you just look at the reaction on my website to uh, to tim clark's comments for that that kind of uh uh, idea of how that may play out. Most definitely, and plenty of comments on the website. Before we speak about it more broadly, Clates, were you surprised to see Adam Scott put his hand up as one of the three involved in this group of nine who've retained legal counsel? All his comments to me prior to all this pointed to the fact that he was just going to get on with it once the decision was made, that he expected that he wouldn't be able to use the broomstick putter the way he does now, and that he would just get on with it. Now we find out that he's part of this this group that's talking legal action. I was a bit surprised by that, I must say. Surprising, yeah. He's always said he would just move it away from his body and part with it. I don't see how you can do that. I, I think that's almost impossible to do properly. 
because the whole point of it is you don't move the handle around. And if, and if you've got it away from your body, it's, it seems to me to be awfully difficult to control, especially under pressure. So essentially a ban, in my eyes, a ban on the method is a ban on the putter, mm. which is what they're trying to do, obviously. Mm. Indeed. Uh, I'm kind of surprised he did. I, it wouldn't surprise me that the American players, just given the nature of the society, they're more litigious than us. That, that they would do it. I mean, Tim Clark's been the most vocal against the ban, claiming that it'll ruin his career. But, yeah, you know, it smacks of these guys thinking they're bigger than the game, mm. I think. Mm. Well, of course, yeah, Tim might not be able to do an extension to his house, as I understand it, Shaq. Yeah. That seems to be the problem, doesn't it? <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a terrible thing. Yeah, that's right. There are people who actually work for a living, Tim, who might find that a tad offensive. Shaq, one of the things that strikes me that we haven't really discussed about this whole anchoring man is going to be, and I think it was Scott put the figure out he's going to move the the top of the the putter a millimetre away from his chest. Could this be extremely difficult to police? And are we opening up a potential can of worms here in the did he anchor, did he not anchor? Was that touching? Was it not yeah. touching? Uh, that seems to me to be a potential problem here. No, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, one of the things I haven't posted on my site yet, but David Owen of uh, Golf Digest dug up some interesting stuff where you could really make a case potentially uh, that Bobby Jones anchored and, and I, I would come back and say, well, wait a second. I, I think he just wore baggy clothes. We can't really tell that he he was mm-hmm. actually anchoring against his, his body. And that's something we've talked about, I believe, before on the show, that, that the policing, if somebody just decides, you know, Angel Cabrera already kind of wears, uh, he doesn't wear the tighter fitting clothes that some of the <laughs> younger guys wear. And, For good reason, uh, Who's to say that, <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's, it's something we may see. And it's always been an issue for a lot of people. As to how you police this, who you're going to put somebody in a very bad place uh, if they do try to police it, whether it's an official or or a fellow player. And and um, I think the hope is is uh, and it may be naive on the part of the governing bodies or or maybe not, but that that uh, by changing the rule and giving people a few years, we'll just weed out uh, anchors and long putters, and it won't be a policing issue. Mm, go with it. Um, but I don't know if that's naive or not. No, well, there's well, there's others that you. I mean, I think Martin Laird is one who uses the belly putter, and he says he doesn't anchor it. But from every picture I've seen on television, you can't for the life of you tell that. It may be different mm. in person, but there's no way no. that you could say that he doesn't anchor it from the pictures you see, still photos, and uh, and on TV. So that's potentially an issue. Mm. It seems to me that for the last. Well, probably for almost all of 2013 and the back half of 2012, we've talked very little about golf. This anchoring ban has obviously been at the top of the list, but it's just been one controversy after another in, in golf, hasn't it? We had the Tiger Woods drop at the Masters. We had the Tiger Woods drop at the Players, which we haven't chatted about on the show, and that's one that keeps bubbling away and not going, what happened to actual golf coverage, Clates? <laughs> well, aside from Tiger, there have been, I think, 17 one single winners on the tour. Tigers obviously dominated it. The Europe kind of bumbles along without anyone paying much attention. I see Manicero won yesterday, which was a nice end to a controversial week for a 20-year-old kid who's won four times in Europe already. Tremendous player. But you're right. You know, the, you know, the Masters was dogged by the, the drop gate. The TPC was dogged by the water gate. So, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff to... Or is it just us? Talking about controversy and finding controversial things to talk about, I'm not sure, but no, no, I think that's right. You might be right, actually, Clades. Is it just us, Shaq? Somebody brought this up on your site, which is what made me sort of think of the question. I think a couple of people have written columns about it too. When do we get to talk about golf in the modern era and the actual playing of the games? Been one controversy after another. 
Um, I would, I, I guess, I would counter and say that that uh, that these little controversies are actually great. Great for the game. They they are getting people talking about things, and I think they're great in the sense that it's also getting people to focus on some of the things that need some work. Uh, the, this notion of the rules of golf maybe being a little bit uh, bloated at this point, and and so I. I, I don't think any of it's taken away from Adam Scott's win at the Masters or Tiger Woods' win at the Players. Uh, I think it's only added to it because it brings more eyeballs. I mean, this is what I've always felt has been lacking in our sport is compared to other sports. We we need these things to, to just get people talking about the, the, the sport and, and, and also at the same time watching these exciting conclusions. We've had really good finishes. And so to me, it's uh, I think I think it's all positive. I don't I don't view it as a negative uh, tainting the sport in any way. We're not talking about uh, drug uh, uh, cheating, uh, except for uh, VJ, and so, even his is nothing on the level of of like a Lance Armstrong type of uh, where you, where you really feel the sport is tainted, and you find that you open up this this can of worms and find all this corruption. And we're, we're, these are more first world problems and and uh, interesting little discussions to have. And I think that's great for the sport. Mm. Indeed. Just back to the anchoring shack, it strikes me that these, these players that have retained legal counsel, who would they sue? I was thinking about this the other day. There's no point suing the USGA and the RNA, is there? Because they're, they're playing by the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is already facing legal action from Vijay Singh, and what it looks like here is, depending on what they do, they may have another court case on their hand from those who anchor their putters. Is That, that seems the likely potential outcome. Have I got that about right? I think you're right. I think that's the avenue they would take and why the commissioner probably sided with them uh, at the beginning and even and went a little too far in some of the, the, the uh, assertions he made. I think that's why he did it. Mm. Uh, he, he was probably, he's a lawyer. He's thinking ahead uh, like any good lawyer. Uh, to uh, He probably played these scenarios out. And I think that's really been one of the interesting things in this. Um, I, I had a lot of questions about the way the USGA and RNA went about this. And now looking back on it, I feel like they spent a lot of time working on this and working through all the potential arguments and counter-arguments, and I think you have to salute them mm. for having taken that time and, and worked through a lot of these potential scenarios and really went about this in a very intelligent way. It makes me very excited, and I would be curious what you guys think, but, but about this being a test case for... Uh, a discussion about distance and them having shown that they can, they can think this through and market this. Um, yeah, there were a few little things I would question about how they communicated with the average golfer, um, but you also realize a, a lot of the things that the average golfer misunderstood in this were were really basic things, and it just came from people being ignorant. So mm. I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like this was really well done on their behalf uh, and has set up the case for distance, uh, uh, for a similar kind of uh, attack on that issue. Well, that's an interesting idea. A lot of lawyers involved, of course. Glenn Nagy, the president of the USGA, yeah. is a pretty uh, a pretty weighty lawyer in his own. I think there's a couple of others in the organisation there as well. What do you reckon, Clay? So if, if we fast forward 10 years and they make this same sort of case for rolling back the ball, what's your take on the success of this this anchoring band? How they've gone? Are you like Jeff? Do you think the more you look at it, the cleverer they've been? A lot of people said first it should just be an equipment rule. Make the part of the shortest club in the bag. End of the problem. Yeah, I think they've probably done it well. I mean, I would have made it the shortest club in the bag, but which kind of goes back to did Bobby Jones anchor? I mean, Billy Casper and 
John Bland and Bobby Locke all looked like they had their left hand on their thigh too, so they technically anchored. But Raymond Floyd had a putter that was longer than his wedge, so that was the problem with making it the shortest club in the bag. Yeah, the bigger question is the ball and what they do with that. I'm somewhat depressed hearing the news out of St Andrews, the conference they had there, that Wally Uline wheeled out that guy who plays old Tom Morris who spoke about the fact that the game had always advanced and this was just another advancement in the game and it was a good thing. And uh, The argument apparently being advanced that all the courses that needed to be lengthened had been lengthened So and the, and the ball won't go any further than it does now, so everything's okay. So I was somewhat depressed at that news, but... Um, no, the, the RNA and the USGA, if they face the courts with the golf ball, won't be that they won't be arguing with the players. They'll be arguing, they'll be arguing with the manufacturers, mm-hmm. who are entirely conflicted and self-interested and don't care about the game at all, as far as I can see. So that's a much harder fight, but a much more important fight, and it remains to be seen whether they have the will for it. It's a, well. It's a yeah. It's a, there did seem to be a bit of a groundswell suggesting that this was going to be the test case for the ball. But as you say, there now seems to be a groundswell suggesting that <laughs> this is exactly why they they might not take on the ball. Is there any merit to that argument, Clotes, for the manufacturers to say that golf has always evolved? And Tim Clark pulled this line also the other day, and I know Adam Scott's used it as well. You know, we don't use one irons anymore, etc., etc., etc. I mean, it's obviously true that the game has constantly evolved i guess the argument becomes about whether that's been for the good of the game clates whether that's been best you just have evolution for evolution's sake no it's been well well the most important thing to me and we've been over this many times are the golf courses Mm. and when the game started there was a clear i would say imbalance between the golf course and and the equipment the equipment was very difficult to use the scores were you you look at the scores from the you know the original opens they were a, a great round was to break 80 and when steel came in, I think, and and the better golf balls in the twenty, you know, in the, at the turn of the century, in the twenties, when, when steel came in in the thirties, that, that balance was somewhat redressed, uh, and it was pretty even for a long time. I think, I think, until the mid nineties, really, and then the big metalhead wood came in, the, the the solid golf balls that wouldn't cut but would spin came in, and and now for for the best players, the balance is clearly the other way. Mm. So you know, so now we see routinely scores in the mid and low 60s. We see every day the great traditional golf courses of the world playing as obsolete if the original intent of the architects is the measure. So that sure it's evolved, but it's evolved to the point where Royal Melbourne doesn't play. Mackenzie wouldn't recognise how that golf course plays. He wouldn't recognise, well, he would be astounded that to see Tiger Woods hit a 9-iron at another par 5 second hole in the West Course, as he did in 1998. 15 years ago he was hitting 9-irons in there. So I think it's impossible to argue that the game has evolved well in terms of defending the golf course. And that's the whole point of, there are two points to the equipment rule. One is to defend the golf courses and two is to retain the skill it takes to play it. And arguably both have been lost. Certainly at the top level, there's nowhere near the skill that, that, that used to be needed to drive the ball well. And the golf course, the golf courses have been destroyed. Mm. In terms of how they play and the intent yeah. of how they played, and you, know, you don't see long two-shot par fours with guys hitting woods at them anymore. It's just you know that that part of the game has completely disappeared. And my view is that that can't be a good thing. Mm. It hasn't made any better as a spectator sport, I would argue as well. I mean, it might be impressive if you're there live watching the the Bubba Watsons and the Gary Woodlands hit these massive t-shirts, but it doesn't translate to television. So effectively, it doesn't do a whole lot for the professional game. Shaq, I was watching. 
a uh, a um, a copy of the 1986 US Open at Shinnecock mm. Hills, and which was fabulous to watch. It was great to just see some old school stuff. But something that struck me was there was a message from the USGA that Fuzzy Zeller delivered as a sort of a community service announcement about ah. slow play. 1986 mm. and slow play and how it was yeah. a blight on the game. Uh, are we just sort yeah. of raging against the machine here and yelling into the wind? Have, have all of these issues, slow play being one of them, just been around forever? Have we got any hope of any of this changing? Well, the distance debate's been around a long time too. And, and mm. um, uh, the difference is I think uh, both in both cases we've reached a point where they are uh, so problematic, uh, so endemic, so uh, uh, ridiculous that 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 we we really do have to do something and uh uh people are recognizing it and there are i think i think what's probably most uh disturbing is that we know there are solutions to these issues and um uh and that, that are they may not make uh enormous differences but they will make a difference and to not try and and do some of those things and pursue some of those things is is uh uh, silly. It's 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 absurd, and I think more and more people are recognizing it. Uh, and we've talked about this before, but uh, we're not the the lone wolves uh, anymore on this on these these topics. People are piecing it all together, and um, and seeing these little slow play episodes, or or watching people hit six irons off tees on four hundred and thirty yard par fours, uh, and so on and so on. And I think it'll all come to a head at Marion. Uh, in some way or another, regardless of the weather, I just think the whole uh, the, the whole notion of going to a place like that that's so good and uh, so pure and 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 so interesting architecturally and and what will happen there uh, with with uh, yeah I, I people keep talking about the distance issue but I think I think the pace of play issue at Marion's going to be just as big because it just has the potential for all sorts of gridlock. Well, Jeff Irvin uh, won't, so, won't fall for that slow play trick again, will he, going up to the practice uh, <laughs> using a, a putting aid and blaming everybody but himself for being DQ'd. That was extraordinary stuff, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it is in that, uh, gosh, I haven't played competitive golf in a long time, but one thing I knew, in fact, I would, I would always take I had, of course, was a nutcase, so I had all the training aids, the, the David Ledbetter, uh, the straight jacket, you know, that, that actually is a pretty good little training tool um, and also great to cart you off if you lose your mind. And I had all these putting things and all sorts of alignment crap. And I would take, not only because they weigh your bag now, I would take them out of the bag just knowing uh, for a competitive round you couldn't get near those things. And so for him to... Yeah, it's one thing to be a little flustered that you asked about whether you could putt, but to somehow blame the official <laughs> for not in telling you you could go putt, then reading you the litany of things you couldn't do. I mean, what official supposed to know that he uses a training aid and he's going to pull it out? I mean, it just it just me spoke to how how pampered uh, some of these guys have gotten, and I mean, he's kind of a bad example because he's he's really always been a little bit of a. Uh, kind of a brat and uh, kind of uh, not really all uh, 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 not, not like somebody I hate, you know, Adam Scott, who's a gentleman. He, he's just been a little bit of a kind of a classic uh, pampered, uh, uh, entitled American. Uh, boom uh, Baby. Golfer. Boom Baby says it all, does it not? 
check? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, there was that. I mean, I, I, <laughs> thankfully, you're not going to probably pull up the audio. This is a low-tech show, but uh, yeah, yeah no, we don't need to hear that. No, we don't indeed. Clay, so I just want to go back to the anchoring band. I was just thinking while Shaq was talking there, he touched on the problem for, for Tim Fincham being that predominantly, really, the, the problem for Fincham is the Champions Tour. That's where the real resistance will come, you know, from, from Langer and our own Peter Senior. I doubt he would complain about it, but there's a there's a lot of guys using the belly and the broomstick putters on the Champions Tour. Could, could you see it being workable for Fincham to somehow, I don't know how he would do it, but if he could say the Champions Tour can use um, long putters and anchor, but the main tour can't, I can't imagine there'd be a lot of backlash to that. What would be your take on that, Clades? I mean, I know ideally we'd all like to play everyone by the same rules, but I can't see a great public backlash against Letting letting the old blokes use it for one one of a better term. Well, you make a rule, you make a rule. I, mean, I don't see how you can have it can be different for somebody else. I just don't see that. I think that it's 2016. Langer will be 60. Senior will be 58, or well, whatever. And just play by the rules. You know, it's, you know, it's the way the game would have been. It, mm. should, it should never have been allowed. Just play by the rules. I mean, Bernard, Bernard will figure it out. Peter will figure it out. They all, those guys figured out a way to play. They always figured out a way to play. Figure it out and go and play. But, you know, it, it, it comes back to my point of if you think the short putter is important, you need to defend it because it's you can't – too often we hear the cry that it's too late to do anything now. It's not too, it's not too late to do anything now. Get it done. Yeah. Don't have any ambiguity. Play by the rules. It's the right thing to do. Go and do it and – but Atlanta goes off the Champions Tour. The world's not going to die. No. You know, you know the, the world will keep going. These guys are, you know, in terms of golf, the Champions Tour is not important. No, exactly. And of course, I'd... but but wouldn't you, wouldn't you love wouldn't you love the irony though if if Tim Fincham tried to claim that it, it's more of a it's an it's an exhibition tour uh, and they should have this rule after having done all that with Casey Martin and the golf cart, um, you know, they got in trouble for calling it an exhibition tour. When they were trying to differentiate between the two, and it is an exhibition tour, yeah. um, but they, they, it just if you go back and look at how they used to parse the words on this, and the, it, it's, um, I, it's, it's absurd. You're, you're, Clates is exactly right. I mean, Fred Couples is a draw. I don't know if anybody goes to a Champions event hoping to see Bernard Longer uh, play. I mean, it's not a, he's a wonderful player and fascinating if you really love the game to watch him, but. He's not putting people in the seats. Yeah, you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't think so, would you? Yeah, he, this will be a really interesting test for uh, Fincham in many ways, Shaq. I mean, he survived the the GFC extraordinarily well. He did an amazing job of navigating the tour through that. This could be end up being his legacy. This one could really blow up in his face, couldn't it? Yeah, just because, and not all his fault. By no, the no, way. he's dealing with dealing with as you, you know, Jeff Overton of the world. You see, <laughs> so, you see what he's dealing with if you go and and that's. There are a lot of players like that. Mm. There are very few uh, Adam Scotts and Jeff Ogilvies and um, you know uh, some of those guys who seem who are a little more um, thoughtful um, and 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 kind of uh, not uh, believing that what they do is the most important thing in the world. That that do have a sense of the world, and so he uh, he needs to get those people on his side if he's going to handle this. But um, uh, as we saw, the way Tim Clark was able to convince uh, a lot of people to change their minds, these guys get very um, empowered when you start playing into this mindset that what they they are truly the ultimate uh, free market uh, warriors out there on their own and have to feed their families and all the, the cliches you hear them say. And 
And so he's dealing with a mindset, and 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 it's it's he's helped create it too. They really think uh, very highly of what they do, and that they are very unique athletes in the world of sport uh, because they could suddenly uh, go broke if they don't play, uh, um, uh, you know, get three playing opportunities uh, a month that they want. And so he's he's created a little of that mindset, mm. and. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of sympathy. Um, I do it to, to some degree when you listen to somebody like Overton, but he's also uh, uh, kind of set himself up for a, for a giant headache here. Yeah, but important for the game, though, that he gets it right, isn't it, Shaq? I mean, for all the lampooning we might do of the PGA Tour and the players and, and all of it, quite fair enough, it is actually a pretty important element of the game for the future of the game, too. It's the showcase of the game. It's the shop front. It's got its problems and all that sort of stuff. But it is what brings people to the game, particularly young people, isn't it? So it's important that Fincham get it right. If professional golf becomes irrelevant, we really have got a problem on our hands the whole game. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in well, his corner. Well, as you know, yeah, the, 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 the kind of the, and this is where we get into so much trouble in golf, the stuffy uh, kind of uh, old world rules uh, uh, aficionados and, and the lovers of uh, amateur golf. And we still have that element where there is a, uh, this, this uh, worship of somebody who never turns professional as if professionals are, are dirty and, and uh, the professional game is somehow, uh, you know, not as pure and, and, uh, and and we don't really like the notion that professional golf uh, inspires people to play. Or well, tough. Get over it. It mm. is the reality, and we do want the professional game to be healthy because if it's healthy and thriving and fun to watch and maybe a little controversial sometimes, and people are discussing it, that only helps the everyday game. Yep, indeed. Now you mentioned the magic word there, controversy. You said earlier that it's kind of all to the good of the game. Didn't Mackenzie have a similar line that you know, as long as people are talking yes. about it, it's it's all. To the good of the game, what we had brewing, I'm going to come to you about this one, Clates, we had brewing a fabulous rivalry between Garcia and Woods, a bit of public jabbing from each, and it was fantastic to watch. It was taking golf into the, the news pages, and I, for one, thought it was uh, it was fabulous to see, a bit of niggle, you don't often see it in golf. And then, of course, Clates, it all went completely wrong when Sergio went a bit too far. Before we come to that, uh, th- we haven't really had a good rivalry. The Nicholas Palmer one was a, was a great rivalry. We haven't had a great rivalry for Tiger, have we? We've tried to build something, but this one was genuine, you know. Garcia, to his credit, and he's done a lot of things wrong over the years, but to his credit, came out and said publicly, I don't like the bloke, and I thought that was fantastic. Can you imagine any other player saying that? It really looked to yeah. be setting up as great, didn't it? Good, fun stuff. I mean, does Tiger dislike uh, Garcia as much or more than, than he dislikes Phil Mickelson? I'm not sure. I mean, Mickelson's the cheesy all-American boy who... Everyone loves, but it seems like their rivalry is somewhat akin to the Nicholas Palmer thing, which by all accounts wasn't that friendly for a long time. So it's, it's always been a part of sports that the, the, the leading protagonists don't particularly get on. I mean, Lyle and Faldo, Norman and David Graham, Palmer and Nicholas have been, you know, it's been, it's been forever in the history of God. Was it Chick Evans and Bobby Jones? I mean, it's, it's gone on forever that the players don't get on because they're battling each other, but... Yeah, Sergio was honest. And I kind of like Sergio. I don't, I don't know him that well, but you know, clearly he went over uh, over the line at Wentworth. Oh, <laughs> yes, clearly uh, over the line would be understating <laughs> it. That was quite extraordinary, wasn't it, Shaq? And le- I suppose the broader thing about this, and I, I touched on it in the intro, that uh, racial politics and golf have always been uncomfortable bedfellows. The history of the game is not great in this department, is it? Which kind of makes it. 
it's very easy to hold golf up as exactly all those things you were talking about before, the stuffy sort of ridiculous attitudes and some, some very old school attitudes about things like race, religion and politics. I mean, the Masters, uh, Augusta National only got, only allowed women members last year. But what was your take on the Sergio thing? It, 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 people come out in force, don't they? We get in trouble in golf whenever we tackle race or gender politics, don't we? And we saw it again, not just Sergio, but George O'Grady after him. It's such a uh, a minefield, isn't it? I, you know, it, it, <laughs> I laugh, we laugh, but, um, and, and it, it's, it's funny in a sense that, that there are people that, uh, divorced from reality to not understand, um, uh, how those comments are offensive. And then at the same time, it's just terribly sad. I, 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 um, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of political correctness and find it, um, I, you have to, to find it funny sometimes but yeah there are there's a there's a reason that these phrases that came up and that were controversial are offensive to people uh they really are just purely offensive if you if you sit there and think it through and so to know that we have these people in the game who i think are are just uh too isolated or or uh, just not very bright or whatever it is and don't understand um and i don't buy that this is an american political correctness thing these were issues of that were just common sense uh it's 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 uh it's depressing because it uh it shines a light on the, this element of golf that we don't really want to do uh and, and deal with but we kind of have to and and uh and it's only going to continue with Muirfield coming up we're going to have more uh idiotic things said in defense of uh a kind of the old boy uh, uh mentality which is which is um you know how a lot of people view the sport, and and I'm sure we've all dealt with it when we tell people we're involved with golf, and you kind of see that look on people's face, like uh, you know they I, they they're the first thought in their mind, or people like George O'Grady sitting around talking about uh, uh, you know those other races, uh, and it's um, it's uh, it's it's embarrassing. That's your own fault if you're telling people you work in golf, Jeff. That's the last thing. <laughs> what are you thinking? What are you thinking? That's just that's just. Just, well, uh, you know, some weeks it's better than others. This <laughs> is one of those weeks where Did, they uh, they just shake their head. Okay, you you mentioned you don't think it's the it's an American. I think I from the outside it looks to me like America is far more sensitive about race, quite rightly, than many other parts of the world, given some of the history of the U.S. But do you think there's a genuine problem with racism on the tour? Do you think that Sergio Garcia oh, no. is a racist, or that O'Grady is a racist, or are they just? Have they been – well, Sergio's different. Sergio was definitely trying to upset Woods and went too far and clearly thought it. I watched his press conference and Garcia was almost in tears. He realises what a what a horrendous faux pas he made. But the O'Grady thing in particular, is is there an element of overreaction there? Do, do we really believe that O'Grady would be a racist or has he just spoken poorly? Uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I do, I do know, though, that uh, when you, you kind of couple it with um, – his his uh, his age and and sort of his uh, aristocratic uh, uh, or 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 want to be aristocratic uh, air it just it it just comes off bad no matter how you want to uh, analyze it and so I I don't know if there's racism on the, the tour um, but there is definitely uh, kind of again an old boys network um, 
mentality. And you saw that in the anchoring band, how they kind of coupled together like, oh, one of ours, even though he's from South Africa or whatever, he's he's one of ours. We're family. We're, we're you know, uh, he's he's one of the brothers hood and, and we have to, you know, let him earn his living. And um, and they get really so uh, embroiled in sort of a, an entitlement attitude. And, uh, you know, and Tiger has uh, there there is. You know, there I, I, I at times sense there's kind of a racial component to still to uh, to galleries, although not. I mean, people really love him, but I I think there are times where, um, you, you just have a sense that there's something not quite right, and that there is an element to the to the uh, to the players that that uh, still some lingering. But in general, no, I don't think it's a. It's an it's a big issue. It's just Sergio. I don't think is particularly uh, 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 bright, and he probably uh, was drinking and uh, trying to be funny, and he's not very funny. And um, and it, uh, uh, but it, but it also is, I think, a little bit telling. It uh, yeah. Well, you don't keep poking Tiger Woods, do you? That's not particularly uh, no. <laughs> particularly. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> not going to yeah, do him much good. Know, come Marion. No, and we talk about Jeff Overton blaming the rules official. Sergio's blaming Steve Sands, you know, <laughs> for right. kind of for bringing up the topic that everybody has on their minds. Ooh, you know what a what a setup, yeah, you know how right. he was he was framed. Oh, just you know he's just not real Indeed. real sharp, and he, uh, so. Clates, in some ways, is it more of a surprise that we haven't had more of this? I, I recall when Tiger won the Masters and he went on Oprah and he talked fairly openly about. Uh, you know, he, he confronted racism many times in his past, and at that time when he, you know, he really burst onto the scene, the bags of hate mail he would get and some of the horrible things that would happen. And I think, you know, that was all at, at that time. But it seems to me that that whole part of the Tiger Woods steam train that has been professional golf since has virtually been a non-issue since 1997. Is it? Is it in some ways a surprise that it hasn't been more of an issue? Oh, yeah. I mean, the most... Interesting thing about Tiger is that he hasn't spawned a generation of black players to play. I mean, the, 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 there are fewer black players on the tour now than ever. So that yeah. sort of speaks to the fact that golf in America is white, middle class, and white. You know, you know it, it amazes me that he hasn't inspired a generation of kids to play. I mean, I, mean, I read a, a, a tremendous story which I read before about Bill Spiller the great black player in the 50s who was, you know, barred from playing and there was a Caucasians-only clause in the tour until 1961. I mean, the most shameful episode in golf's history really was the, the exclusion of the black players. And, the, and that speaks to the horrific attitudes in America towards the blacks and race in the, 60s, in the 50s and 40s and 30s. So, you know, the game in a sense has moved on, but it really hasn't in one sense advanced the cause of black kids playing golf at, you know, the, the, the gates certainly haven't opened to them at the country clubs. Well, no, there's, well, there's a number of elements to that, isn't it? I mean, the access to golf has always been the difficulty. Certainly, certainly early in his career, the, the, the gallery that Woods attracted Shaq certainly was a cause for concern for some um, stuffy old golf types, wasn't it? Guys turning up to watch golf tournaments with caps on backwards and baggy shorts that, you know, didn't quite come up to the waist and that sort of thing. He certainly attracted the gallery, but not the players. He himself, Shaq, Tiger, has always been uh, very reticent to get involved in the in, in the the political side of, of, of race in America, hasn't he? He's carefully avoided the topic. He had that famous Cablin Asian statement that he made on on Oprah's show that he considers himself Cablin Asian because his mother Thai and his father being black. Uh, he's been careful to avoid it too, hasn't he? Are you surprised somewhat that we haven't seen more of these instances since the, the Tiger Woods steam train of 97 began rolling? 
Um, no, I, I think uh, for the most part, our society is more enlightened, but uh, there are still going to be these little instances that pop up. I would, I would say though that when his he went through his scandal uh, as a blogger, uh, I can speak to having deleted many awful things or read many sites where uh, awful things were said. Or I've gotten uh, as recently as last week just some absolutely horrifying emails from people saying that any of my uh, uh, criticism or questioning of his role in that in the Garcia situation is was racism. So you could just imagine the things that he he still gets. Mm. If if I'm just seeing little anecdotal parts, but you know he still gets mm. it, and it's it's depressing that that kind of thing goes on. But um, uh, so I think that probably would temper his enthusiasm for. Um, for, for getting involved, I like that he came back at uh, Sergio and and slapped him on this and and pointed out uh, the the offensiveness of the of that kind of uh, uh, comment and uh, and did it on Twitter, did it fast and and to the point, and that was great. And uh, genuinely but hurt. We don't know what he genuinely hurt. You reckon Shackle or just trying to make life even more uncomfortable for Sergio because he then extended the olive branch somewhat after that, didn't he? And said, you know, now it's time to move on. Uh, oh, I, I think it hurts. Absolutely. I don't, I don't, uh, I think, I think it would hurt in the sense that, I mean, people forget, um, and he has lingering animosity and as he should towards the, the Navy golf course where he, he, uh, he grew up here and, and he has had, he has, he has, he encountered things, um, that he should not have had to encounter in this day and age at, at his age when he was an emerging player. And that has forever made him, hmm. Um, driven him and probably left some angerness and bitterness, and I completely understand that. I mean, it's it's appalling when you think about it uh, that those kinds of things went on, and um, and I I completely understand why he would would uh, have those feelings, and I I think he's used them mostly and channeled them to to to, to win, to go and be who he is and be as is you know a lot of people it would probably ruin, but uh, um, so. I think I think something like what Sergio said is hurtful, and that it not that it's he. I'm sure he just rolls his eyes and says, mm. looks at him and laughs at how much better he is than Sergio, yeah, and right. what a yeah. He probably thinks of him as a bit of a waste of a great talent, but I think it's hurtful in the sense that it brings back uh, the stuff that that he's had to deal with. Mm. Uh, I would I would I'd be shocked if it didn't. Yeah, because of course the the one the one toe in the water that he did put was uh, was the Nike ad when he first turned professional, wasn't it? You know, there are still courses in America that I can't play on, and that blew up in his face, didn't it? In a in a huge way, and he has never. It talked, did. It was true. It yeah, of course. <laughs> That's the irony of it. Yeah. Of course, it was true. Uh, but he got yeah. hammered. Regardless, let's uh, let's move on from that topic because uh, it is a minefield, and I'm not necessarily particularly comfortable wandering <laughs> around in it either. I'll yeah. have to be honest. Shaq, you have recently returned from Rio, where, of course, the Olympics will be in 2016 and where golf will come back to the Olympics. What's happening with the golf course in Rio? What can you tell us about uh, Gil Hand? I think he finally got started recently, didn't he, after a few yeah. a few stalls along the way? Shaq. Yeah, it was very exciting. I, I, I finally got the call to come and uh, visit. There were actually... Things to uh, to look at and to uh, to discuss that that ha- had to do with golf architecture and not um, <laughs> um, um, contracts and all yeah. that good stuff. Although it's still a very uh, uh, difficult situation in terms of uh, a lot of different things, as you probably can imagine in a 
in a country that's kind of known for uh, having some of these issues and, and an Olympic Games where the IOC has already expressed their uh, their concern about the uh, the progress of of uh, not just the golf course but but many venues um, that are that are either not working very well or not built and um, so but that said. Uh, I go as uh, really just to kind of offer thoughts to to Gil, and he knows of my. We have very similar uh, way of thinking, but he knows I'll I'll question some of the things he does and and uh, throw out some ideas historically. And so it was it was a lot of fun. He's uh, if you can try to picture a property where there's a, a body of water and kind of a lower marshland area, and then just a gentle rise and an upper shelf that's more sandy. Uh, and that's he's working on that sandy upper shelf, which is. Uh, the first and 18th and 17th and seventh holes and sixth hole. And uh, so that's where they've begun. It's beautiful soil. It's probably terrain wise, a lot like Kingston heat. There's, there's, it's not hilly, but there are just some nice gentle features to work with. And uh, so that's where, that's where he's begun and where we started um, playing around with, with, frankly, probably the most controversial hole. It's kind of just the way it started, but the, but he has a blind, are potentially blind par three, depending on where you play it. And so we were kind of discussing that and the modern game and holes like it in the past and how players would react and uh, the whole notion of building a controversial hole on a course like this. And so it was uh, it was very uh, very interesting discussion. And, and I know he's just thrilled to finally be building something. Yeah, Clates, of course Uh-oh. you um, you led uh, you led Gill around the sand belt. A few months ago, did you not? You came here on a bit of a, a spotting tour before he went to Rio, and you had a chance to uh, to chat to him. And I, I think you, uh, the two of you, got on pretty well. You're quite excited about the course he's going to produce for for the Olympics. I think that'll be good. He likened the property to Kingston Heath, which was, I, I think, the main course he wanted to see. Obviously, he wanted to see Royal Melbourne and Victoria and the rest of the Sandbelt, but Kingston Heath, I think, was the the site most akin to what he was dealing with in Rio. So. It'll be interesting to see how how it turns out in terms of the similarity of look and how it plays, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. And you know, as Jeff was saying, it sounds like it's not easy working down there. So um, hopefully it gets done, and it, you know, the players get to play a good course, and it's um, it doesn't become you know a, a race to get it finished, and it's not in good condition, and, and it's a compromise and all that stuff, but. Presumably, Jeff, the, the, the course gets done and, and we tee up in 216 and play and it all works out fine. Is that how it's looking down there or is it, you know, is it more difficult than that? Well, it's going to be the, – their idea of a test event I think is going to be tough. I've always thought it was going to be tough and I'm, I'm kind of, frankly, uh, don't mind that. I like the idea of the course just debuting, at least on television, to the world during the Olympics. You know, they might still be able to ho- host the test event that's maybe uh, something on a small scale, but it's it's uh, it's tough. And the thing that's that's difficult about the the problems that they're having and understanding the urgency is that, as you know, Clates, this style of architecture, the the uh, um, kind of build it based on the uh, the ground and and build it by where Gill's actually out there on the bulldozer mm. doing a lot of the shaping, is that you 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 want time. Uh, you want to have time to build something and move on to something else and then come back and look at it. You know, this is not just working off plans and mass-produced architecture. And then also to have time to to do the detail work at the end where, you know, they have beautiful native uh, plant material. 
and uh, the the bunkering, the first bunkering they've done is is definitely going to have a sand belt component. Um, but of course, as we know, part of what makes those bunkers beautiful not only is the tight cut right up to the edge, yeah. and and uh, kind of the irregular faces, but the backside with the native plant material, and they want to do a lot of that. But you have to have time to to do that, to get it established, to to fill in where plants don't survive the transplanting, all that stuff that goes on. You you need time, and uh, that's what worries me is that uh, uh, is is rushing that, and then of course maybe really peaking a year after the Olympics. You want it to, to at least uh, be close to peaking come Olympic time, and um, and you know we're dealing in a country where where they don't really build golf courses, and and they certainly have never built anything like this, mm. and understand that kind of. Uh, I mean, we have trouble still explaining that approach to people here, even though we have a lot of successful architects. And I'm sure Clates can speak to this. That there's still there's still a mentality that a golf course is just is built like a building. You whip out plans, you follow the plans, and oh, yeah. and then it's done. Well, and you, it, it's just a different kind of uh, art form. Well, you have your picture taken on site, looking at the plans, Clates. Isn't that how it works? That's how golf courses uh, get built. You get a clipboard uh, and you uh, stand I mean, and look it, at it. Yeah, it just it just staggers me how people think you can build a golf course in a plan. And there are many, there are many architects who do that here. They just do the plans and give the plans to a as a driver, it GPSs it in the machine, and they go and build this thing that, and so, some of the things work, and some of the things don't. People wonder why they don't, you know, why, why they get an average golf course. And I never forget, and I'm sure this has happened many times, but Mike Kaiser was walking with Bill Core down at Lost Farm and on the 12th hole, and he, he said, "What do you think you're going to do here, Bill?" He said, "I'm not sure. I'm just going to work it out as it goes." And you know, that's the only way to build golf courses, you know, is to build them out of the ground and make decisions as you go and you just don't build good golf courses off plans you build average courses you, you know you build mass produced stuff but you know you've got to be constantly making decisions about what you're going to do and you can't imagine what you're going to do when you sit in the office because you just know that multiple things come up every day that you've got to decide on and if you're not there it's no good which is why Gil's going to build a great golf course in Rio because he'll be making those decisions every single day and He'll be making as he goes along, and Jeff will go down, and they'll discuss a blind par three, and what do you think about this, and what do you think about that, and you know, should we put a tee over here, and do we knock that mound down a bit, and do we get the green up, and how do we make this work? I mean, all all things you can't do in a plan. Sorry, in, in an office mm. on a plan, you just can't make those decisions properly. If you were Gil Clates, would you feel like you had enough time? They want to play the the Olympics there in 2016. We're in mid 2013. He only got started, I think, in March. First, uh, first. Uh, started to be moved would you be comfortable there was enough time to do all that well i think jeff he's planning to be finished building by the end of this year is that right uh that's the that's the plan <laughs> that is that is the plan yeah yeah so, so he's got um, 14 15 and half of 16 to, i mean that should be enough time i guess i mean you, you know you would think that would be enough time we i know we did the lakes we finished that in two oh nine i think and played the open there in 211 so that had you know that had about the same time between when we finished and when we played the, the Australian Open there. Shaq, the, um, the golf course isn't going to be the only thing, as you mentioned. We may be having the Olympics in 2017 anyway, which would be all to the good of the golf course, wouldn't it? <laughs> Nothing else is going to be ready. We might just delay the whole thing by 12 months, which would work in Gill's favour. <laughs> you know, we don't have the best airport here in Los Angeles, but I never, ever <laughs> want to hear anybody say that that is something that has to be redone before we host the Olympic Games again. Their airport is, <laughs> is tiny and awful. 
Um, I just, I, the whole city is, uh, it's beautiful to look at. It photographs beautifully, but I cannot fathom for the life of me how it's going to function for an Olympic Games. I just can't. The, the World Cup, everybody mentions, that's not a big deal. They only have like four games of the World Cup in Rio. Uh, that's that's really just going to be a blip. But the the Olympics, you know, having been to London last year and seeing what went into making that work and being secure, I just I don't see how this is going to uh, this is going to fly in Rio. It's going to be tough. Well, it's not the first time, is it? I mean, the Olympics. I think the one in Athens in uh, you know four that were weren't they weren't they doing planting right up to the the, the opening ceremony was marching yeah. along the main street. They were still planting flowers for the TV cameras. Just prior, so there, I suppose there is some uh, something. Is, is there a genuine concern, Shaq, amongst not just Gill, but I imagine there's a lot of Olympic activity there. Is there a genuine concern about things being ready in time? You know, I think that was the most interesting uh, thing that I saw lacking was was even a, a hint <laughs> that the Olympics are coming there. You know, I expected to go in the airport and just be inundated with logos and merchandise already you know you go to you went to london two years ago and they already had stuff and 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 repainted walls and said uh, you know 2012 olympic games you wouldn't even know that they're hosting the olympic games if you went there unless you 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 knew going in there's no sign of it there's wow. no there's no uh a uh, real spirit about it uh, yet either, which I think is probably why they're uh, having the issues they're having. And that's, I guess, just sort of the culture is to, to kind of um, yeah. uh, not be in a hurry and yeah. not uh, right. not have an urgency. Which one of the wonderful things is that, you know, it, wouldn't it be nice to see an Olympics that wasn't perfect? <laughs> Don't you think? That's just a well, nice well, sort of thing about, to see. How about Barcelona and Greece? And, yeah, exactly. You know, we've had a few Olympics that weren't perfect. Is, uh, Russia is, and... Yeah. yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Moscow. I've forgotten about that one, but yeah, it, uh, it'll be fantastic to see, gents. I think the US Open's only about, what, three weeks away, Clates, to the US Open? Uh, yeah, I guess the second week in June. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So uh, yeah. we'll certainly be doing another episode before that. But for today, let's wrap it up, because I know Shaq's got places to go, and gee, it's almost getting to light daylight here, Clates, so it must be time <laughs> for us to uh, to get off the phone. Clates, it's been great to have you aboard, as always, mate. Looking forward to okay. chatting to you before the US Open in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, thanks, Rob. And getting your insights on Merion, which he played last year. We won't give anything away yet, but uh, yes. we saw some fabulous photos out of that from you. And Shaq, always great to have you aboard. Thanks for uh, thanks for keeping us up to speed with what's happening in Rio and looking forward to reading your blog and what's coming. I think you're off to the memorial, are you not, this week? I am. This week we have the memorial and uh, and then a week uh, in between and then, uh, then Merion, which uh, I, I think is going to be uh, a real bellwether for uh, a lot of different... Uh, things that we talk about on the show. All right, well, some homework for you. You have to go and follow uh, the young Chinese lad, Guan Tian Lang, for a couple of holes uh, and tell, if he's, tell us if he's improved his pace of play because he got an invite to the memorial, so he'll be able to tell us. Yeah, whether, whether... I, I did watch him a little at Augusta, and, and uh, so I, I, you're right. I will I will go to see. I keep hearing that he uh, doesn't make much of an effort to uh, speed up, so it'll be interesting. The good news is uh, PGA Tour rounds are slow, So, uh, but this is an <laughs> invitational with a smaller tournament, so he better... Uh, you better pick it up. We'll see what unfolds. Great to have you aboard, Shaq. And that wraps it up for episode 22 of State of the Game. We'll be back again, as I said, in the next couple of weeks with a special pre-Merian US Open edition of the show. Looking forward to that and looking forward to your company then also. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. 
theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.